Welcome to St Ninian's in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart, it's my privilege to be the minister here. This week, as well as being our now usual weekly online worship for St Ninian's, the community of Stonehouse and the people from all around Scotland and across the UK and indeed around the world who have been joining us, we welcome today people from the United Reformed Church National Synod of Scotland. You are very welcome to be with us. Today we're exploring another story from John's Gospel, right at the beginning of chapter 17 from verse 1. It's a strange story when Jesus goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and it's quite difficult. So let's listen as Margaret reads it for us. A reading this morning can be found in John chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. Jesus prays to be glorified. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays for his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one as we are one. Amen. One of the things people ask me most often is, what does that mean? And I have a feeling that in this Bible story today, that's the feeling that we might have. It's one of those bits of the Bible where we read it and we shrug and we scratch our heads and we wonder, what does that mean? Or perhaps we don't even get that far. I have a suspicion that when we read passages like this one, we just close the book or skip over it and move on to the next bit. It's hard. It's complicated. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And so we jump ahead. And that's a shame, because with just a little bit of patience and a few clues, this turns out to be an amazing passage passage that tells us about who Jesus is, about who God is, and how we fit into all of that. This could be, perhaps, some of the most important sentences in all of the Gospel. And we might be missing it, because it's a little bit difficult. So let's see what we can discover together. The first thing we should probably do is remind ourselves where we are in the story, because we jump around quite a lot at this time of year. We're at chapter 17. That's almost the end of John's version of the story of Jesus. This is the scene where Jesus has gone out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, just before he is arrested. 
The remains of the Last Supper are still on the table. The crumbs of bread and the dregs in the wine glass. But this is John's version of the story and that last meal is overshadowed by another event. Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. Blowing open their understanding of what it means to be a leader by taking a towel and a bowl of water and doing the most lowly of tasks, washing their dirty, smelly feet. Something that even the servants wouldn't want to do and they would leave that to the lowest of their rank. It's certainly something a teacher or a leader or a master just wouldn't do. And now, after all of that, after sending Judas on his way to begin the betrayal, they've gone out into the garden among the olive trees. The disciples, they don't really know what's about to happen, but Jesus knows. And now Jesus is waiting. John's Gospel, this story of Jesus we've been working our way through for the last few weeks, it's not like the other three. Matthew, Mark and Luke are in many ways much more straightforward. They tell the story of Jesus with a beginning, a middle and an end. John doesn't even tell the story in the same order as the other three Gospels. But that's because John's much less interested in talking about what Jesus did next, and then next, and then next. Instead, John wants to talk about who Jesus is. And this little passage, well, it tells us everything we might need to know about that. And we nearly skip past it. John's writing is nothing short of brilliant. He uses themes, setting them up at the beginning of the story, then coming back to them later on to show just what they mean and how they can help us to make connections. Here, Jesus says, the hour has come. It's time. There's an echo there back to the very first sign, all the way back to chapter 2 when his mother Mary tries to get Jesus to sort out the wine situation at a wedding in Cana. She shoves her son forward in a properly pushy parent fashion and Jesus turns to his mother and says, my hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. But he does fix the wine. Only he does it in private. Only the servants know who did it and what happened. Well, three years later, the time has come. It's time for everyone to know the truth. The truth about who he really is and what that means for all of us. Now is the time for the whole story to come to a conclusion. A conclusion on a cross. Standing on a hill for everyone to see. But John doesn't only tell us what time it is. He tells us why. Why this is all about to happen. Why Jesus is even here at all. This is about glory. Glory is one of those words we don't use properly anymore. Glory nowadays is about fame and adoring fans, about winning something, about triumphing, about being better than someone else. But the real meaning of glory is about showing the true nature of something or someone. If I was to say that someone was standing there in all their glory, in this part of the world, that would mean they were standing naked. With nothing to hide them, nothing to cover up, their true selves revealed. This whole thing from the very beginning of John's Gospel has always been about revealing God to us. John starts at the very, very beginning. The beginning of all things. And everything he's told us 
is about revealing who God is to us. John tells us in his very first chapter, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood and we saw his glory with our own eyes. One of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out, from true from start to finish. The glory of God, the true nature of God, is revealed in Jesus. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. God revealed in all his glory, uncovered, exposed, laid bare. We see God in the things that Jesus does, the things Jesus showed us, the way that Jesus behaves, the things that Jesus is concerned about. Because if Jesus is God and God is Jesus, well then we know what God looks like. We know how God behaves. We know what God is concerned with. And soon, soon we will see just how much God loved the world as his own son hangs on a cross to save us all. And that's just in verse 1. In John chapter 3 verse 16, that most famous of verses We're told that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The rest of this passage tells us a bit more about that. Verses 2 and 3 say this, Since you have given him all authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There it is again, eternal life. We talk so often about it, this idea of life eternal. It turns out though that most of what we think about eternal life isn't quite right. For John the whole point of Jesus coming is to show us God and to show us how we can live in a relationship with God. That's a a mind-bending idea. How do you get your head around that? How can I have a relationship with God? And what would that even look like? It's much easier to see how that can happen if if you can see someone. How, How could it be possible for me and for you, for us? Well, we have an example. We have a person that we can look at and and see exactly how it could happen. John's Gospel talks a lot about knowing, and for him, true knowledge is relationship. That's because when we're in a relationship with someone, we know them. The deeper the relationship becomes, the closer we are, the more we get to know someone. Hundreds of years before this, David, a relative of Jesus and the greatest of all Israel's kings, wrote a poem about exactly the same thing. We know it as Psalm 139. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You've searched out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before me and behind and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high. I cannot attain it. It seems so one-sided for the psalmist. How could we ever know God as well as God knows us? How could we be partners in that kind of relationship? 
What would we ever have to contribute? Why would God bother? But God has made it possible. He's given us a way to understand. He has presented us with an example. Jesus. Being a Christian isn't about getting to heaven. At least not in the sense that we usually think of it as a a place up in the sky where we go to be with God when we die. As the great prophet Belinda Carlyle once sang, heaven is a place on earth. It's here. It's now. That's because the eternal life that Jesus speaks of is a life lived in God. Just like Jesus' life. That relationship to be one with God, the eternal life, is, is timeless. It starts now and it never ends. Because it's in God's time, not our time. Not our obsession with measuring seconds and minutes and days and years. God's time is way bigger. God's time, well actually God is time. God is and was and is to come. When we have a relationship with God, we step into that infinite time, God's time, with all those who have come before us, all those who are here now, and all those who have yet to come. All the talk of glory in this passage, with it John is reminding us that Jesus is God, and so to see him is to see God. All that Jesus has done and would do was about making God known to us. For John, this story was never just about a man called Jesus. It's always been about who Jesus is. The Christ. That's not his surname. That's his identity. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And yet here he is. With a name and a face. Kneeling in a garden Praying. Praying for us. For you and for me. Praying that through him we might see God. Praying that through us, others might see God. Because that's what people need. They need an example, a guide, a helper, a teacher, a parent, a sister, a brother, a friend to show them the way introduce them, to walk alongside them, to support them, to talk with them, to discover alongside them. Because that's what it means to be like Christ. So that other people might see this bigger picture. So that everyone might experience the Christ, the word of God in flesh and blood. That they might see in you and in me the face of God. That we might see it in our friends and neighbours. And that we all might see a glimpse of God in each other. So it turns out this difficult little passage from John tells us all we need to know. Sandwiched between two great events where Jesus washes the disciples' feet and his trial and crucifixion. It's John's way of telling us exactly what's going on. Who this Jesus is and why he's important. He's important because he shows us God, just as we can show God to each other, to our friends and neighbours. That's a challenge, a challenge for all of us. But Jesus shows us it's possible even in the most difficult of circumstances. 
His concern is for other people. His habit is kindness. And that's all because he is deep in relationship with God. A relationship open to each and every one of us. God, we look at the heavens, longing to know the full seasons of your kingdom. We look at the heavens, longing to know the heights and depths of your steadfast, loving kindness. We look to the heavens, longing to know that you are God, and that we are yours, and that in the end all shall be well. Yet you hold the fullness of the seasons, for you are the truth steps of love. Only in you shall all be finally well. So turn our heads from too much stargazing, and turn our hearts from too much navel gazing, that we might be present to resurrection and to life right before us. Remind us that any love of infinite power will never overcome the power of infinite love. Fill us with such resurrection power that in our love and even in our doubt we might give witness to the mystery of your kingdom, to the healing of your love. God, our days are filled with strange actions. Our world is filled with hurt. Our too quick breath is filled with anxiety. We seek after solutions and solace, things that ease the pain, but don't really lighten the load. Help us to cast our cares on your shoulders. Help us to rest our anxiety in your love. Tune us to the needs of others. We might be for them the comfort promised by you. Help us to be present to our inward unrest. We might show up for others with gentle words and quiet comfort. Be with those filled with angst and anger so often threatens to devour us. Help us to cast our cares upon you, that we might know and be led to show your deep care for us and for all of creation. Hear us as we join in the words of Jesus, saying together, Our Father, Our Father, Our Father, Bart heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Give you great peace. Today, tomorrow and forevermore.